Hey, hey, welcome back. The Actors Room, episode number six. Episode title, Jack Nicholson. We're going to talk about Jack, and it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, everybody, here we go. My name is Jeff Tarowski, and today was kind of a big day, and this is why. I launched today, the podcast. It was kind of exciting because I've been working really hard, and I didn't know how many episodes I should wait till I sent it out, so to speak, and the advice I got was to do about six to ten episodes and then launch, and I thought to myself, you know what, five, that's enough. We're going to launch now. And I wanted to make sure I had all my ducks in a row. I was kind of unsure about the one aspect that scared me was having it sent to iTunes. Because I don't really know too much about RSS feeds. I was kind of like, what does that mean, this RSS feed? I figured it out, though. Actually, my wife figured it out. Thank you. I sat there for about an hour. kept on putting all these feeds in, and it kept on getting rejected so I was getting kind of scared like oh no I did something wrong and I'm using an app called opinion to do this podcast it's a very simple app you have a lot of restrictions but it's great for me uh, my content is all about you know talking I'm not really into the whole special effects thing I don't need a bunch of uh, bells and whistles so to speak so this opinion app that I'm using like I said real simple and it costs like three bucks it's all I need for what I'm doing. And so far, it's working great. It's really easy to go ahead, cut and paste things on here. Although you have to be very careful. If you make one little mistake, you may erase like 30 minutes of dialogue you just did. And I had done that uh, once. And I wasn't happy about that. Plus, if you scroll up and down too quickly, sometimes you'll jumble up the pieces and parts. You know, because sometimes... You're doing the podcast and you're five minutes into it and you make a mistake and you have to stop it. And then a new section will start. So you have a bunch of sections. So the one time I was scrolling, just trying to edit things, and I was scrolling so fast that one of the sections jumped somewhere else in the podcast. And I'm like, what the f... I didn't know where it was. Everything was all jumbled up. I had to figure out where that section went and, and where did... Oh my gosh. And like at one point... It was all over the place. I couldn't figure it out. It took me hours to get everything back together. So in that respect, there are disadvantages. But for the price, you can't beat it. It gives you everything you need for a simple podcast. So when I found out you have to put in this RSS feed, and I really didn't know what it was, I was nervous. What if this opinion app, being so cheap and too easy, I thought to myself, what if iTunes doesn't even get the right feed and I just wasted all of this time? So I wanted to make sure that I got it on iTunes and it worked. It's sent over, it was verified, and all I had to do was wait to see if they approved it. And wouldn't you know, like an hour later, I got an email and everything was great. 
So I felt confident. I have the uh, web pages up. I made a Facebook page. And I also made a Twitter account as well for the podcast, which I don't know much about. I'm going to be quite honest with you. I'm not a Twitter guy. I never saw a point to it. It's just this whole tweeting thing. I don't understand it. I didn't then and I don't now, but I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to sit down and look over all the lingo. These hashtags, I think, are very important. I don't know anything about that stuff. It's fucked up, but it's true. I'm not going to lie about it. I know nothing about Twitter. So I got to sit down. I got to study Twitter. I got to know how to use it because I think Twitter is probably the most popular social website that we have besides Facebook. It's got to be. It's huge. It's humongous. Everybody uses it except me, of course. I mean, I have an account. I've had one for a long time. I just don't use it. So I'm going to have to start using Twitter. I'm a little nervous about it. I don't want to mess it up. I think it'll be a great tool for me in the podcast. So stay tuned. All right. Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. Born on April 22nd, 1937 in Neptune, New Jersey. Nicholson is one of the most prominent American motion picture actors of his generation. He grew up in Manasquan, New Jersey, and I hope I said that city correctly. It looked a little complicated, but I think it's Manasquan, about 50 miles south of the city on the Jersey Shore. The people he believed to be his parents were named John and Ethel May Nicholson. John was a department store window dresser, and Ethel May was a hairdresser as well as a talented oil painter. June Nicholson, whom he believed was his older sister, was an aspiring actress. June was, in fact, Nicholson's mother, and John and Ethel May were his maternal grandparents. What a mind fuck. That has to be mind-blowing. He grew up believing that his real mother was his sister. Okay, think about that for a second. Okay, his real mother was his sister. Wait a minute. He grew up believing... (laughs) It's kind of... I find it hard to wrap my head around it because it's really messed up. Okay. The fact was... That Jack's real mother was June, but he believed her to be his sister. So it was all sort of pushed back. And Jack will later find out that the true story is that June is really his mom. And he found this out after she died. And he didn't really get a chance to confront her about this. So he went on his whole life believing that was his sister. That's got to be. I could, I could imagine like my whole life, I don't have an older brother, right? But if I had an older brother finding out down the road that he was my dad, I'd be like, uh, hmm, uh, um, what are you telling me right now? Ah, you're messing with me. Stop. But no, that is what happened. She had Jack... When she was 17 years old, and she was unmarried, of course, and uncertain of the father's identity. Ouch. 
at the time of Nicholson's birth. She was not sure who the dad was. Mm, 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 mm. Her parents agreed to treat Nicholson as their own and never reveal to him his true parentage. One of June's ex-boyfriends, Don Rose, has since claimed to be the father. But Nicholson decided not to have paternity testing performed. Here is a quote from Jack. Quote, I'd say it was a pretty dramatic event. No shit. But it wasn't what I'd call traumatizing. I find that hard to believe. That's the end of the quote. Jack, I find that hard to believe. You're telling me that wasn't traumatizing? Finding out that your sister was your mom? I would be pretty crushed. I'm sure he was. I think that quote is pretty much saying, everybody, don't worry about me. I'm fine. Not a big deal. Eh. Bullshit. He was probably in depression for a while. And confused. Mostly confused. Depressed, maybe. Confused, a lot. That is so messed up. (laughs) Man. Okay. Jack would also say this about discovering his family's secret. Here's another quote. After all, by the time I found out who my mother was, I was pretty well psychologically formed. As a matter of fact, it made quite a few things clear to me. If anything, I felt grateful. End of quote. He felt grateful. Okay. Well, maybe he had his suspicions then, I guess. And when he says that a few things became clear to me, maybe he did have his doubts. Or he thinks back and says to himself, Oh, so maybe that's why she gave me those hugs the way she gave me. Or, you know, she treated me the way she did because that was really my mom. Oh, yeah, now it makes sense. Okay, so maybe in that respect I get it. So his mother, June Francis, had Irish and small amounts of English, Scottish, Welsh, and Pennsylvania Dutch. Jack never knew his biological father and was raised by his maternal grandparents. It was not until 1974, when a Time magazine reporter researched his life, that he learned the truth. An Italian immigrant named Donald Furcillo who was married briefly to June, may have been Jack's biological father. It is also possible that Jack's biological father was Edgar A. Kirschfeld, a Latvian-born entertainer known as Eddie King. And if you look up this guy, this uh, Edward A. Kirschfeld, or you look up Eddie King, and you see a picture of this guy, that's him. You look... He looked like his dad a little bit, this uh, Kirschfeld guy. If I were to put money down on who Jack's father was, I'd put money on this guy. Nicholson has chosen not to investigate further. Jack was a happy little boy and grew up in a house filled with women. So I guess it is safe to say that he got plenty of attention. Jack attended Manisquan High School and he actually went to his 50th high school reunion. I'm sure that was quite a treat to have Jack show up for that reunion. The 50th. I'm wondering if that was the first one he went to, because most high schools have a 10-year 
maybe 15, definitely a 20. I went to my 20th a couple of years ago, and that was a lot of fun. So I'm wondering if that was the very first one he went to. I bet you it was. Man, I bet you that was a blast. All the classmates there, seeing Jack again for the first time since he probably graduated. I'm sure it was a blast. Um, let's see. Um, I looked up his yearbook in classmates.com. Once again, referencing classmates.com. And they don't have his yearbook. None of them. So, darn it. Didn't get to see his high school yearbook. Um, he was voted class clown and graduated in the year 1954. Unfortunately, we won't get to see his picture on classmates.com, but that's okay. Maybe they'll put it out sometime soon. Uh, his grades were good enough to get a partial scholarship for college, but he was in no rush. He is quoted as saying, that he had plenty of time to go to college later on, and he moved out to California later on that year and lived with June, who he still believed to be his sister at that time. So I guess out of high school, he felt, eh, I got time. I I guess he was very smart. Jack is a very bright man. He did very well in school. Obviously, he got a partial scholarship, so there were schools willing to pay for him to go to their college He decided that he'd rather just experience life, uh, see what else was out there. And one of the things on his mind was trying to be an actor, going out to California. And in doing so, he lived with June, who he still believed to be his sister, but really his mom. And she was out there because she was dabbling in in music acts and things like that. You know, she was talented, too, and uh, she had the itch to go be in the entertainment field, so you know where he got that from. One of his part-time jobs was a messenger boy for MGM's cartoon department. He was determined to become an actor and would give screen tests at the studios. He would be told that he didn't have the right look to be a leading man. Oh, well I'll show them, right Jack? Jack's film career began with the film called The Crybaby Killer. Before the crybaby killer, he bounced around studios, doing odd jobs, and television shows. These television shows included Divorce Court and Matinee Theater. Nicholson performed in a string of B-movies such as The Little Shop of Horrors, Too Soon to Love, The Terror, and The Wild Ride. Then Jack would eventually get into film production. In 1964... He did back-to-back films in the Philippines, writing one of them as well. He even managed to produce two westerns, writing one of them and co-starring in the other. These films did not make him a star, but he gained valuable experience and filmmaking knowledge. Next came a biker classic called Hell's Angels on Wheels in which he played a gas station attendant who dreamt of finding happiness atop a Harley-Davidson 1000. This performance gives a glimpse of his brilliance to come. A Dick Clark production of a film called Psych Out was next. Jack was frustrated at the way his acting career was going and decided to give writing a try. Then it happened. Jack Nicholson wrote this screenplay for a film called The Trip. 
This movie would star Peter Fonda, Bruce Stern, and Dennis Hopper. The beginning of something magnificent was about to happen. Jack used his own experiences with LSD to put this movie on paper. Although the film itself was not a success, it brought these wonderful people together. Easy Rider would prove to be a movie that changed his life. Although Jack's total screen time in the film is only 17 minutes, he made a significant mark. Bruce Stern and Rip Torn were originally considered for the role Jack immortalized, George Hansen. So Nicholson took on the role, and the rest is history. I find it interesting how many times actors have to turn down roles or bypass them for whatever reason, and then someone else steps in and just kicks it in the ass. I love that. There are so many actors out there dying to get work, and then there's actors that are doing so well they have to turn down things left and right. Like, that must be an awesome problem to have. Uh, Dennis Hopper was intent on having Jack really stoned during his UFO speech. And you can noticeably tell that he is stoned. It's hilarious. It is reported that Fonda, Hopper, and Nicholson improvised most of their scenes and smoked over 155 joints during filming. That's a lot of weed, man. They had a good time on that picture. They had a really good time. Wow. <laughs> Woo! The fireside chats by the three of them are priceless. I, I love the reaction of Fonda during Jack's UFO speech. I mean, he's really interested in what Jack is saying. He's completely stoned. But he's listening to Jack talk about the UFOs. And at one point, he actually looks up into the clouds like he's going to see one. Good stuff. You could tell that Jack had a lot of fun making Easy Rider. Just look at him smiling while riding along with Fonda on his bike when they, he decides to go with them on their little journey. And I think it was, I think it was Fonda that said, um, do you have a helmet? And Jack looks back he's like, do I have a helmet? <laughs> And then the, the very next shot is him, you know, holding on to Fonda while they're taking the bike and just taking off. And that smile he's got on his face, that smile he's got, it is just worth a million bucks. Easy Rider made Jack a star, and he was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. The film, Five Easy Pieces. Now, here's a film. Oh, boy. I believe it was this role that he crossed over from being good to special. When you watch this film, like this is one of his earlier films. He was still growing and still learning and trying out new things, gaining confidence. And in this film, I think you, you start to see, if not do see, him take a leap. I mean, he's really confident in this film. There is a transition as an actor for him in the film. And that transition, it, it's plain to me. There was no bullshit coming out of this performance. His acting took flight. The table clearing scene when he is in the diner trying to order an omelet is fantastic. I love it when he is talking with the waitress and she's being a complete bitch. 
and she does a really good job. The the actress that's playing the waitress is fantastic. And she starts getting snotty with him. And then one of his uh one of the girls that's sitting at the table with him interrupts to defend Jack. And he swiftly tells her to shut up. I just love that. Like he is in complete control. <laughs> so beautifully timed, so dead on. I love it. Just many memorable scenes in five easy pieces. If you've never seen it, go out. Get it somehow. Go find it. You need to watch it. Um, another moment I like is when he's playing the piano, playing Chopin. His co-star in the scene acts as though she can see into his soul. He explains that he played the piece, right? He played with no feeling whatsoever. And I'm wondering if that's true or not. I don't know. I mean, is he protecting himself or being truthful? I never figured that out. And you know what? I love that. Carnal Knowledge is a film directed by Mike Nichols. And this film is a mixed bag for me. The good is that Nicholson's performance is great. Okay? And watching Anne Margaret nail her role, she was amazing. Plus, she's gorgeous. I always had a thing for her. She's just a gorgeous, gorgeous woman. And it doesn't hurt that you also have Candace Bergen in that film as well. Not the best actress, but she's nice to look at too. I mean, she was beautiful. Uh, the bad is watching Art Garfunkel in this role. <laughs> Listen, I have nothing against Art. He is a tremendous talent. I mean, come on. Paul Simon and him it made some beautiful music. But watching him try to act, I don't know what it is. I can't take him seriously. I think like Paul Simon is going to like come around the corner and they're going to start breaking out into a tune or something stupid like that. And maybe that's just silly and that's on me. I can't look past that and go, well, there are plenty of, uh, you know, rock and roll stars that uh, become actors. I don't know how many are really good. I don't know, maybe Bette Mittler. She's not rock and roll, but she's a singer. Uh, with Streisand, um, maybe I'm forgetting some that I probably should know, but there aren't many. I maybe I should, you know, overlook that. That you know what he is trying to do something here, and he really didn't do too many films. Just it's just a few, but I, I don't know. I just can't get past that. He did a fine job, actually. I'm not. That's not the point. The point is when I see him, I see that hair, and I see. You know, Paul Simon and him on benches or little stools, you know, strumming their guitars and singing about the war and stuff like that. So, um, there are many films to discuss about Jack. So, I apologize if I'm going through some of them quicker than the others. But if I feel like I, sh I should touch on a film that Jack did and I want to discuss it, I will. But I'm going to skip quite a few. So if you feel me jumping too high up on a film and you go, whoa, what about that movie that he did? Sorry. I mean, he is still doing films, although he did seem to take a break for a few years recently. Um, he worked a lot, so I can't talk about all of them. I wish I could, but I can't do that. I had that whole part one, part two, part three with Marlon Brando, but that's all I want to do about with parts. I, I kind of want to stay away from the part thing. I want to do episode by episode, starting with somebody new each time. 
So that's I wanted to explain that just in case I'm skipping over stuff and you're like, why didn't you talk about that movie? Well, because I skipped it. And like I said, you can always leave comments and suggestions on Facebook, um, on the website, and say, you know, you skipped over that film. Can you reference it some in some way or talk about it? And I'll do that. I have no problem. But I'm just letting you know there's going to be some movies I'm skipping. All right. The last detail. Cheese melted enough for you? I love that. I, I don't know what is about that line when uh, he's sitting at the table with uh, Quaid's character uh, and the other guy, they're, you know, they're escorting Quaid's character and they're sitting down and they're eating burgers and, you know, they're kind of babying the guy because they know that he's going to be sent away. So they want to show him a good time. So they want to make sure that his cheeseburger had cheese on it, enough of it. And if the cheese was melted properly and, uh, Jack says, is, uh, is the cheese melted enough for you? <laughs> That's that's great. Uh, Jack is truly a badass in this movie. And I think that's his nickname in the movie, Badass. Well, perfect for him because he really was a badass in it. Uh, it works and he has fun with it. Uh, most veterans will tell you that this film depicts the reality of military service in a most truthful way. The characters are true to the text and Randy Quaid is good in this film. He was nominated for an Academy Award. I think he's an underrated actor. He's a bit of a nut, but he's Cousin Eddie, right? I mean, he was good in Midnight Express. And I guess Quaid played the role of Mitch in 1984 in A Streetcar Named Desire. I wish I could have seen that. Nice. But he is so damn funny in those National Lampoon vacation movies. Freaking priceless. Okay. (laughs) Gotta move on. Nicholson garnered an Oscar nomination for his role in the last detail. The guy was on a roll. Then came Chinatown. This is a film that deserves its own podcast, and I might do that. But for now, we're going to concentrate on Jack's parts as much as we can. The screenplay is considered one of the greatest ever written. It is often taught in screenwriting classes, and Jack is in every scene in this film. It's his baby. Robert Town wrote the screenplay with Nicholson in mind. How cool is that? You got this brilliant writer working on a historic script and the whole time seeing your face in the main character. That's a hell of a compliment. I think Jack did that with a lot of people in the business. There were a lot of not only actors that wanted to work with him, but writers, directors, producers, studios, stagehands, anybody. Seriously, I think that a lot of people really wanted to work with Jack. He was a hot ticket. He was different. The guy was very good. Very good. So you have this uh, screenwriter, you know, writing the script, thinking, boy, you know we'd be perfect for this role? Jack Nicholson. So the whole time, that's driving the, the writing, too, is when you have someone in mind, it helps you. It helps you see it better. So that's a hell of a compliment for anyone. At the time of filming, Jack Nicholson had just embarked on his long-standing relationship with Angelica Houston. This made his scenes with her father, John Houston, rather uncomfortable, especially as the only time Angelica was on set was the day they were filming the scene where Noah Cross 
interrogates Jack and his character with the, you know, quote-unquote, do you sleep with my daughter? Ugh. Quote. That's the end of the quote. And Jack was, eh. <laughs> Jack. Jack is nearly perfect in every scene. He uses his charisma to take the role of a detective, which has been played many times, and do something different with it. Uh, Jack's attempt to always be right and correct, even when he doesn't know it, is always spot on. The last look he gives as he looks back at what happened really helps in making the ending so memorably tragic. Chinatown would give him his fourth Oscar nomination. Well done, Jack. But nothing could prepare us for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. This film is so good. This is my favorite Nicholson film, for sure. It just holds a special place in my heart, along with Terms of Endearment, which I love too. And I love his character in that role. But One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was one of the films that grabbed me when I was younger, learning how to act, and did something for me. I don't know how many times I watched it in a row. A lot. And I just fell in love with that film. All those characters just make sense. And, of course, Jack does a fantastic job with the role, and we're going to get into that. But take a look at the supporting characters around him and how they helped in making Jack great. They really did. Now, I don't know how well he would have done if he didn't have the support that he did, but the director should be uh, praised as well, Milo's foreman, because he made it work too. I understand there were a little bit of fights going on between Jack and Milos in the beginning of shooting. They had some disagreements about the character and how they were going to use him. But ultimately, it worked. You, hit, you get just wonderful performances by a group of people. Uh, the story is great. The setting is great. And I'm saying great a lot again. I apologize. But hey, you know what? That's just what I say. So I'm going to stop sort of you know, doing that to myself right now and just keep talking. There are very few inspirational performances. This is one of them. His interactions with Nurse Ratchet are legendary. And you get to see a young Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd as well. And I guess Danny DeVito was a childhood friend of Jack's. I guess their parents had a business together. I found this little tidbit about Nicholson and director Milos Foreman fascinating. And here it is. Rumors that production shut down because Jack Nicholson had hair plugs implanted are false. This can be verified by actually looking at his scalp. The story, as related by production designer Paul Salbert, was that Nicholson and director Milos Foreman had very different ideas about how the narrative should play out. For example, Foreman thought that the ward should be in Bedlam when McCarthy showed up. And Nicholson posited that his character would have absolutely no effect on the mental patients if they were already riled up, which would have negated the purpose of his character and therefore much of the plot. Nicholson and Foreman both refused to give an inch, each believing he was right and the other was wrong. The two months that Nicholson was supposed to have disappeared was actually closer to two weeks, and he didn't disappear. In actuality, Nicholson spearheaded a coup 
among the other actors and refused to let Foreman run rehearsals. Wow. Running them himself instead. During production, Nicholson and Foreman spoke to each other through the cinematographer, but faked a friendly relationship with the media and studio personnel would show up to the set. This is one explanation why Nicholson doesn't appear on any of the DVD special features. That's the end of that little tidbit that I wanted to mention and give you an insight about how things go on inside of a movie and what it takes to get through the bullshit because there's going to be bullshit. And if you find any successful movie and you dig deep into it, chances are you're going to find out There was some messed up stuff going on. You have two egos or more clashing, saying, I'm right. No, 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 I am. You know I am. Oh, you're just stubborn. Blah, 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 gnashing at each other, creating friction. And it looked like it delayed the shooting by two weeks. (laughs) And I love how Jack had had a coop going on there. He had his little group of people and they were all like on strike and Jack would run the rehearsals because Jack wasn't about to just not work. He was working, but on his own time. And that's kind of cute how he had a, 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 an acting uh, class going on or practicing, uh, rehearsing. So from his aspect, he wanted to make sure that his character was being done as truthful as possible. And in the same respect, having it relate to the plot. It's so It's so important that you have both of those coinciding on the same plane because if you don't, one will override the other and the film won't work. And Jack knew this. I want to talk about Jack's acting now. Um, I, I love it when he stands in line on his way to the nurse's station and he has to take that pill. He says, you know, what's in the horse pill? And he relentlessly takes it, right? Supposedly. <laughs> and makes a yummy sound as he walks away. I love that. Mmm, he swallows it, mmm, but he doesn't really swallow it. He actually spits it out a few moments later. I don't know why I like that part so much. I don't know. It's just those choices an actor makes. And you could tell when it happens organically, clean and smooth. Michael Douglas of Wall Street fame and son of Kirk Douglas was the producer of this film. He said that Nicholson walked on the set the very first day with a big bushy beard. Feeling that the character needed it, I thought that would have been awesome when you think about it. That bushy beard. I guess it, you could see Michael Douglas's standpoint on this choice that Jack made. Although daring, and you like to see that from an actor, I think if they walk in with uh, something shocking, like definitely you come walking in with this big bushy beard, kind of an awkward moment. And the director or the producer's like, oh my gosh, well, at least they're trying. But Jack, I don't think we're going to use the bushy beard. People will just look at the bushy beard and like ignore everything else. So Jack decided to cut it off. A little dabble do ya. Love that. Um, Another creative scene in this film is when Jack wants to watch the baseball game and isn't allowed. His rendition of watching a game that isn't there is truly inspiring. Talk about hitting it out of the park. No pun intended. This role would finally win him his first Academy Award, and so well deserved. Jack gave a nice speech 
and I wanted to play it for you on this episode, but I'm not sure if I can do that. I'm going to have to look into that a bit more. It doesn't make sense to me, though, because I listen to other podcasts, and they have clips of stuff all the time. I think it's okay, but I want to make sure, though. I want to make sure that I can do that. I could put a clip in, because I wanted to play just a snippet of his acceptance speech, and one of the important parts that I wanted to point out was, I think near the end of his speech, he says something like, and, you know, to my agent years ago, who said to me that I had no business being an actor. Thank you. And I thought that was interesting because I hear a lot about that in, in the business, especially when I started out. I would hear stories about actors or even entertainers of some sort that would make it big. And then saying at one point in their rise to fame or their struggles in the early goings, that they had someone in the business tell them, you know, you may want to try something else or you have no business doing this. And it reminds me of this, uh, this uh, acting school that I tried out for. And before I went to the Neighborhood Playhouse and after the Academy, there was a few schools that I look into um, just to see what else was out there. And I ultimately decided on the Playhouse. But there was one school that I won't note just because I don't want to piss anybody off. But I went in there, had a nice little interview, talked to the head of the acting school, and he looked at me. And for like a long time, too, he just stared at me. It was very uncomfortable, and he was just checking me out. And then he ultimately says, you know, if you really want to make it in this business, you have to fix your teeth, and then you have to fix this, and then you have to fix that. And it really turned me off. I said, listen, really? You're going to say this to me right now? And I said, I'll let you know. I got up and I just left. And I think back to that encounter, and I wonder how much that played into my psyche. Um, and the psyche of an artist is very, very, very vulnerable. And when you hear things like that, it hurts your psyche and your confidence in trying to do what you're trying to do. And that is try to break into one of the hardest businesses. Uh, I would have to say it's probably the hardest business to get into. Um acting, uh, you know, music, things like that. And looking back, I wonder how much that affected me in my early stages. Uh, it probably did affect me quite a bit. So I really look up to the actors that experience something like that, like I did, or someone telling them you have no business doing what you're doing. And then you go out there and you become one of the biggest stars of all time. My God, that is so fucking awesome. Good for you. And you got to be strong. Gotta be strong because it's so easy to just cave in and give up. Of note is Missouri Breaks only because he co-stars with Marlon Brando. And also a side note is Nicholson and Brando were neighbors, actually. They lived right next to each other on Mulholland Drive. I wonder how many times Jack came over to Brando's to borrow some sugar. And I mean women. <laughs> okay, that was, that was a stupid joke. I'm sorry. All right. Okay. The Shining. I am now realizing how many Jack Nicholson films can be dedicated to an entire episode. It's ridiculous. The guy has given us some monumental films. Stanley Kubrick directed this film, and in my opinion, one of the best thrillers ever made. If not the best, it's right up there. Jack is truly creepy. And his progression to madness still dazzles me every time I see it. Jack had something bubbling deep down. 
You can see his inner demons quite plainly as the family and himself are driving up to the hotel in the beginning of the film. Take a look at his eyes. He is so irritated. Always irritated. I think that Jack Torrance was a man that battled with controlling his anger and had a short fuse. I guess when you have those eyes that Jack has, it works in your favor to pull off a character like that. Because, come on, I mean, look at those eyes. The way his eyebrows come down. and I mean, just it naturally just does that. And he makes it work. And that shot of him staring ahead with an utterly disturbed but confident and hard-driven look. Oh, man. He's got that black sweater on with the blazing fire behind him. Quite the image. I wonder what was going through his mind when he was giving that look. I mean, it is fucking scary. Maybe we don't want to know. <laughs> here's, here's a little tidbit about something related to this. Jack was given only cheese sandwiches to eat for over two weeks, which he hates. And it must have irritated him. So I think what happened was Kubrick found out that Jack hated cheese sandwiches. So that's all he fed him for two weeks. And if you're eating something you despise for two weeks, I would be pretty pissed off. I know that. I hate beets. And if I had a plate of beets in front of me every day for two weeks, I wouldn't be very happy. I know that much. So maybe there is our answer. Jack would state that this was the most exhausting film he ever made by far. Angelica Houston, who lived with Jack at this time, claims that after his long shooting days, Jack would walk in the door, head straight for the bed, collapse onto it, and immediately fall asleep. In 1983 came Terms of Endearment. Like I mentioned before, Jack's acting and what he did with this role, his character, the astronaut, is so beautifully clever. Forever a boy at heart with no shame. It is a supporting role for him, but he makes the most of his scenes. Pretty much every second of his scenes. The chemistry displayed between him and Shirley MacLaine works. And MacLaine is one of my favorite actresses. My favorite moment in this film is when the daughter is back in the hospital and near death. McLean is distraught, of course, because her daughter is dying and Jack's character had broken up with her earlier in the film. I mean, she's going through a lot right now. And then she looks up and he's there in the distance. That look on his face, he looks like a little boy, but he says, with his eyes, with his face, I'm here. I'm here for you. I care. I just, it's hard for me to show it sometimes. Gets me every fucking time I see it. Every time. This is such a special film altogether. A bona fide tearjerker. This role gave Jack his second Oscar victory. This time as Best Supporting Actor. Prizzy's Honor is a nice film. It's noteworthy to point out Jack acting alongside his longtime partner, Angelica Houston, who won an Academy Award for her performance in this film, and her father, John, directed it. Jack gained 30 pounds to do this role, and he nailed that Brooklyn accent 
beautifully. He was nominated for Best Actor once again. Uh, The Witches of Eastwick was a fun film. The last time I watched it, though, I was probably around 12 years old, so that was 30 years ago. Uh, So maybe I should watch that again sometime. (laughs) Um, A tough film to watch for me is Ironweed, just because of the content. Um, But both Jack and Streep are at the top of their game. It was interesting to see these two take on a role like they did. Um, If you don't know Ironweed, um, it takes place in Albany, New York in the 1930s, and both of them play alcoholics. They both look like shit, and it works, of course. Uh, There are some shots of Jack that look nothing like him, I thought. Like, I've seen still shots of this movie from time to time, and I'm like, who's that? Oh, it's Jack. It doesn't even look like him. They did a really good job with the makeup and stuff. Really good. And they also make Streep looks like she's about 30 years older than she should be. Um, But, of course, both of them were nominated for Ironweed. My goodness. I mean, the both of them put together probably have around 200 Oscar nominations. (laughs) I mean, it's amazing. Um, Honestly, though, here. Here are the numbers for this point exactly. Listen to this. Jack has been nominated for an Oscar 12 times, winning three. Streep has been nominated 20 times. Let me say that again. 20 times she's been nominated, and she has also won three. So she has lost 17 times. She's, well, that, that's amazing. 17 times that she's lost. She's only won three? I didn't know that. I thought that she won like five or six. That is something. Okay. I can't wait to talk about her. That's going to be... That's going to be awesome to talk about Meryl Streep. I mean, she has had one hell of a career. Probably one of the most prestigious careers in the history of film, when you think about it. And I can't wait to talk about her. I'll probably do that real soon. Okay, next film. Batman. Fun and perfect. Jack received a percentage of the gross on this film, and due to its massive box office return, he netted around $60 million. As of 2003, it is still the single movie record for actor's salary. Here's a quote from Nicholson about his Batman role as Joker. Quote, The thing I like about the Joker is that his sense of humor is completely tasteless. End quote. He would go on to say this was one of his favorite roles. Jack had a strict schedule stipulated into his contract that his casting call was to be later than most actors on the set. Jack was known for having late evenings up to 3 a.m. sometimes before he would get home as he dined out every night or attended small parties. Michael Keaton would arrive early in the mornings and Jack would come in around 10 a.m. at the earliest and greet Michael, then sit on his chair. He would then tilt his head back and fall asleep immediately as the makeup artist worked on him. (laughs) He'd have his late nights, roll in around 10 a.m., sit down to get his makeup on, and it took two hours to put his makeup on for the Joker. So the way he thought about it was, I got a two-hour nap out of the deal. Not bad. It was truly incredible how they got that permanent smile on his face. I mean, it was pretty cool. I mean, he didn't have to smile. I mean, it was a permanent smile that they, they put on. 
Um, I remember going to see this film when I was a kid. Uh, I was in Florida at the time, and it was summer vacation. And it was such a big deal. I remember we all hopped in the car and went to the theater. It was right in the middle of the day. And it was so wonderful. What a great film to watch as a kid. I remember being just completely entertained. And being pleasantly surprised by the performance of Michael Keaton uh, in this role. I've always been a Michael Keaton fan. But the way I looked at him before this role, you know, I was still a kid, was, you know, like Mr. Mom and, and, and Night Shift he did with Henry Winkler. Um, just a funny guy. Great comedy timing. But I never really saw him as a serious actor. And it wasn't until this film, and a lot of people scoffed at the idea of Keaton taking on the role of Batman. And before you saw the movie, you're like, Michael Keaton's playing Batman, really? Wow, that was a bad choice. But once you see the movie, you say, my God, that was a perfect choice. He really surprised us with that role. Um, He played, out of all the Batmans, I think, Michael Keaton played the best Bruce Wayne. I just think that. I, re- I really do. He is a tremendous talent. And I want to take this time also to apologize to you. I, I don't know if it's showing in the podcast, but I am battling one hell of a sinus problem going on. It has been one of the worst summers ever for my sinuses. I mean, they, it feels like they're on fire. And I'm struggling a little bit. I think it's coming through just fine. But I really want to apologize. I'm a little off and I'm doing the best I can to have my voice be as clear as it can be. Um, So I am apologizing to you if I sound a little eh. I'm trying to get over this thing. It will get better. Fall is on the way. Thank God. I cannot wait because my sinuses will clear up. It'll be relief. Like, it feels like there's little weights inside my, my nose. You know, like My nasal passages are just, they're a mess. So, okay, we're going to move on. His supporting role in A Few Good Men was monumental. I say that because of his quote from the film, You can't handle the truth. I mean, think about it. That line is reset every day. No doubt about it. And there is even a chance that you will say it sometime in the near future. He played his character smugly, with cockiness, and it was a joy to watch. The looks he gives, the stare-downs. I believe Jack is comfortable playing the man in charge, giving orders. I mean, he's just good at it. Jack Nicholson told Rob Reiner he noticed that when he walked into the first rehearsal, the rest of the cast rushed to their seats and kind of scurried to their seats. And he's quoted as saying to Rob, uh, Afterward, I told him, Rob, it was so strange. I felt like the fucking Lincoln Memorial. Nicholson told the Los Angeles Times, I actually blushed. Kevin Pollack, his co-star in the film, had this to say about Jack. Quote, he is the party. No one had more fun. End of quote. And that's what I have been saying all along. We love watching Jack because he's having fun. He is actually having a good time. The next film of Jack's I want to briefly discuss is As Good As It Gets. I had said previously that One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Terms of Endearment were my favorite Jack characters, and they are. But this one is right up there. Jack gives one of the best performances as an actor in this film. If I were teaching an acting class, 
I would tell my class to watch Jack Nicholson here. It doesn't get much better. There is a lot going on underneath with this acting. And I feel that at this point in his career, he is so in tune with his method of going about doing his work that his performance shines through. He gives some wonderful moments during the scene in the restaurant when he takes out his plastic forks and knives and stuff like that. Then, of course, his character insults Helen Hunt's character. Um, you know, And she doesn't put up with any of his shit. And she always calls him out on it. Especially when he said something negative about her son. She says nothing. And then Jack realizes that he has said something bad. And his reaction is one to note. You could, you could see it. Like She just looks at him after he says, I think he said something like, uh, um, you know, everybody's going to die. And from what I hear, your son's going to die too. And it's just, she just can't believe he said that just then. And she doesn't say anything, but she just looks at him. And he's just sort of playing around with his, his plastic forks and knives, just kind of put them in order and so on. And as he's doing that, he all of a sudden realizes that, I think I said something bad. And you get a, like a, uh, uh, I'm, you know, and he doesn't say he's sorry, but he, he realizes it. Like it, he goes through that progression of, you know, I'm just being who I am and I'm just an asshole. Uh, and, uh, I'm kind of going about my day, but, oh, wait a second. I get an actual realization that I might have hurt somebody and what I said was not good. I love that moment. And his scenes with Greg Kinnear are riveting. Another moment to note, when Jack walks into Greg's hotel room after he had blown it with Hunt, you know, when they all go on that trip, and he blows it. And it's the next morning, and he walks into Greg's room, and uh, Greg nonchalantly says, how you doing? And Jack goes into that typical, er, I'm okay answer, and then stops and just looks at him and goes, you know, just shut up. (laughs) You know, he realizes he's in no mood for small talk, and then he puts on his real face. Top-notch acting that is rooted very deep. A clinic in super acting. A cute little note I wanted to pass along is the dog in the film, Verdell, actually stayed at Nicholson's house during the entire shoot. Now that's adorable. Nicholson won the Oscar for Best Actor with this performance. I want to quickly comment on the movie called The Pledge. This one was done after As Good As It Gets. It's directed by Sean Penn, and it's a gritty film. A true independent film, driven on pure storyline and acting. And you get to see a brief scene between Jack and Mickey Rourke. I have to admit that I can sit and watch this scene about 10 times in a row and not flinch. And I got to say this, I have. If I, Whenever I want to watch a great scene, a great acting scene, uh, there is something that Mickey Rourke does in the scene that is so deep, so heart-wrenching. It's so personal. I don't know what he's thinking about when he gives his lines and does this little monologue that he does. It's very short. It's not that long. But if you want to see tremendous acting, I would recommend checking that out. It is fantastic. Uh, He talks about 
his missing daughter in the scene, and it is a scene I recommend to the highest degree. The film about Schmidt got Jack his 12th Oscar nomination. Uh, He was surprised for the nomination, and he actually won a Golden Globe for the role, Uh, and he claimed that he was surprised because he thought that it was a comedy. But that often happens when you play the character so true to life. I mean, that's just reality. Real life, though it may seem boring to us, as it's happening, is downright funny. And Jack always playing his characters based in reality turns funny into art. And that's what he did. A truly brilliant performance by a brilliant artist. Anger management is good. I mean, it's funny. Jack is so damn good at comedy. I wish he would do it would have done more comedy because he's excellent at it. He's got great timing. Uh, it seems like he could do anything. The Departed is a movie that reveals how impressive an all-star cast can be. Not only is Jack having a good time, but take a look at Mark Wahlberg and the way he played his character. So playful. I don't want to get into depth about The Departed because it deserves its own episode. It's safe to say that it's one of Martin Scorsese's very best, and we'll leave it at that for now. Rumor has it that Jack has taken a break from films because of memory loss. So tough to hear these things, you know, you're getting older, I mean, he's he's getting up there in age, and you know how much he loves to act. And if you're experiencing memory loss, you're getting older, you feel you can't be at the top of your game and give it your best, and I think that's where Jack is in his life right now. Now, it's rumored that he does have a project in the mix, but who knows? You know, maybe he's feeling better, but I think that his acting career is, you know, it's almost pretty much over. I hope I'm wrong. Jack Nicholson defined how much fun making great art can be. There are not too many actors out there that make me smile more than Jack does. The guy is a true pleasure to watch. He entertains. I believe his greatness lies within his ability to keep his characters grounded. His feet are firmly planted on the ground. We love to see that, I think. Audiences relish in seeing Jack on screen. He shows us how we really are. Well done, Mr. Nicholson. Your performances will stand the test of time because of your elegance and charm. And I will never forget the look on Jack's face as he hung on to Peter Fonda cruising down the road on his motorcycle. That million-dollar smile is burned in my memory. Thanks, Jack. And thank you all for listening to this great podcast about Jack Nicholson. I learned a lot of things about Jack doing my research. And I am finding that I am going to have even more fun checking out all these other actors I'm going to do. And I think that I know a lot about Robert De Niro, but we're going to find out because guess who's next? Robert De Niro. He's on deck. I am going to start doing research on him tomorrow. Uh, He is such a great actor that there is a generation upon a generation upon, it just seems like he's been around for a long time. 
And it just seems to me also that he branches through a lot of generations. And it's going to be interesting to do research on him and see how he is as a person. Because um, I've heard that he's, he's quiet. He's a quiet guy. And I'm, I'm interested to see if that holds true in the research that I do. I'm anxious to find that out. So Bobby De Niro will be next up. Episode number seven, I think, is going to be Robert De Niro. All right, guys. Um, thanks for listening once again. And put in a movie. Put in a movie tonight, one that makes you happy. For some reason, I wanted to watch 9 to 5 last night. You know, the movie with Dolly Parton. And <laughs> when I was a kid, I loved that movie. And for some reason, it was a Sunday. Yesterday, for me, it was a Sunday. For some reason, on Sunday nights, I want to watch that movie sometimes. Isn't that weird? I don't know what that is. But it's not on Netflix. It's not on Amazon, because that's what I have, too. And I'm like, and I know it's been on there before because I've been scrolling through stuff in the past and I saw 9 to 5. I'm like, oh, you know, watch that some other time. Well, the time I actually do want to watch it, it's gone. Why does Netflix do that? I always wonder, they can have a movie on for like two, three years in a row. And then you find like, yeah, I want to watch that movie. And you go to find it and it's gone. Why did, do they, are like restricted with their database? They can only have so many movies at a time. I don't get that. I hope eventually... We have a system, whether it's Netflix or some other company in the future, hopefully before I die, where you can just go on there and watch any freaking movie you want. God, it's coming. I hope it is. So put in that movie tonight that you love. Sit back, relax, enjoy. Thank you so much for listening. Love you. Have a good one.